0: I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. (laughs) That wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad, and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 8. Operation Cinderella. Sometimes you never really appreciate what you've got because you've got nothing to compare it to. That was the case with the communication and presentations from Guy's Hospital detailing the prostate cancer journey. Men I would talk to years later would describe their treatment and unfortunately, it was like comparing corned beef to caviar. Luckily, I was eating caviar. There was one presentation that you had to attend and it was probably the most important because you would not be having the prostatectomy operation without it. Royally named Prostatectomy Preparation Clinic was the name of the presentation. This is the presentation where the team get to tell you all that will happen during and immediately after the operation. Now, like I said, if you miss this presentation, you cannot have the operation. So, even though I was given plenty of notice, over two weeks, I still managed to get the date mixed up and missed the presentation I should have attended, which was a good week before the operation. It could have been two weeks. Luckily or unluckily, for me, there was another presentation. It just happened to be the day before the actual operation. So, on one hand... It was great because by attending the presentation, I could still have the operation on on schedule, even though I'd cut it, let's say, really fine. The only problem would be if there was something that I learned in the presentation that I needed to have a think about or even brood over. My brooding time would now be in a space of a couple of hours. Anyway, let's get back to the presentation. So I attended nice and early and I was definitely Billy no mates, as I was the only single person out of about 20 couples with one couple coming all the way from Gibraltar. The different teams and people that would be looking after us post-operation introduced themselves along with an old boy that had had the procedure years ago and was there for questions and answers. The nurses, consultants, a couple of research teams continence team and the feared but aptly named erectile rehabilitation team all introduced themselves and briefly said what they do. We should be changing our diets. Basically, if it tasted or looked nice, then it was out. Green stuff was in, in abundance. Yeah, of course it was. The other most important topic that we needed to know about was the pelvic floor exercises that we would be required to do for the rest of our lives. The removal of the prostate takes along with it a valve that is attached to the urethra that helps to hold back urine. Without these pelvic floor exercises, we may never become continent. The day would start with an early check into the department on the day of our operation. We would have to get used to repeating and confirming our name and date of birth as we would be doing that with every single person that we meet. We would check in, change the clothes, have our blood pressure taken, confirm that we have not eaten since midnight, meet the surgeon and finally the anaesthetist. It would be the anaesthetist's job to put in the cannula and that would be the last thing we would remember. The operation itself has a number of steps. The urethra is cut either side of the prostate. The prostate is then removed while trying to preserve the nerves on either side. The urethra is reattached, catheter is inserted, and Bob's your uncle. Job done. See you later, mate. The presentation was the first time that the nerve bundles were mentioned and their key function. There are two sets of nerves either side of the prostate. Think of your open hands around a football, which the surgeon has to delicately cut away from the prostate. These nerves are what controls the King's hydraulics. The aim in every operation is to preserve both sets, but this will depend on how damaged the prostate is. It is one of the key points that I try to tell men when I'm doing an awareness presentation. The quicker you get checked... And if you find yourself in the unfortunate position of needing to have this operation, the better the chance of preserving these very important nerve bundles. Without at least one of these nerve bundles, you will not have a natural erection again. The prostate contains one of the two valves that retains your urine. When the prostate is removed, you require strong pelvic floor muscles to take over the function of this missing valve. Therefore, you have to build this muscle up and you'll be doing pelvic floor exercises for the rest of your life. Now, I found them, when I started to do them, I found them quite easy, but for some guys, it's a bit of a challenge. During the operation, a catheter is temporarily inserted. This gives the new joint the necessary time to heal. To manage excess fluid during the operation, a Robinson's drain may be fitted. This is essentially a plastic bag or a plastic container with a one-way valve that is gravity fed. It's held in place by a simple stitch and any excess fluid generated during the operation is siphoned away by this bag. This was pretty much the operation side of things. The operation itself takes anything from two to three hours. The recovery has a number of parts to it as well. Once you're awake, you would be wheeled off to the recovery ward and then onto the one of the main wards. On the main ward, you may be attached to an IV And they would administer pain medication if it was required. This was the grey area for me. Would keyhole surgery be any less painful than if it was normal surgery? I couldn't find an answer. Either way I anticipated that was likely to hurt. So imagine my surprise when they said pain management was going to be managed via paracetamol was definitely a sentence that stopped me mid-tracks. I mean, forgive me, I'm having life-changing surgery, and I was expecting to hear about the -the over-the-counter, locked in a cupboard, hand it over with gloves, and sign a register type of pills. You know, the stuff you hear about dealers peddling, or the more enterprising, trying to distill cough medicine to replicate. And here they are talking about paracetamol. I had to look around and make sure I hadn't woken up in North Korea. I really wish they hadn't told me. Another fun fact about the operation is how they deal with those pesky internal organs that are determined to be in the way. So unlike a normal operation where you can physically move them, shove them over here or shove them over here or clamp them somewhere, With keel surgery, you don't have that solution. What they do instead is blast your stomach with carbon dioxide. This will artificially bloat your stomach. So you'll go in one size and come out another. And over the next week or so, you will be slowly expelling this air. Thankfully, it's not the kind of antisocial type of passing wind You know, the sort that you don't want to do in a lift or a train carriage. If you have a fear of needles, however, then your horror story is about to come true. To prevent blood clotting, you have to inject yourself daily with a blood thinner for 28 days. These injections need to be either in your triceps or in the fat of your thighs. Now, it's a tiny needle, but if you've got a problem with needles, then this was really your hell. I remember one guy saying that he would have to get his partner or his carer to do this part. Luckily, I've got no problem with needles, so that won't be, that won't be an issue. The Kiel surgery itself consists of five entry points that have to be cleaned and covered while they start the long progress of healing. Some of these holes are for the tools, the cameras, the removal, and the drip. The entry wounds wouldn't look much on the surface, quite small, but it's the fact that they travel all the way internally that makes them deceptive and accounts for the six weeks of healing that's required. So during this six week period, You can't do any exercise, you have to be careful bending, you can't do any driving. Otherwise you run the risk of the wounds reopening and it's not a pleasant fault. The catheter would remain in for anything from 5 to 21 days. You can start the pelvic floor exercises straight away, but I couldn't think of it while still being kebabbed by the catheter tube. The thought terrified me. Speaking of catheters, my friend told me of his experience. He had had heart surgery and was on a self-administered morphine device. Somehow, he'd managed to have too much and was having some sort of psychotic episode. So, as you do, he looked down at the catheter tube, wondered what it was... And this is the look-away moment. Took it with one hand and just yanked the whole thing out completely. To this day, it still makes me cross my legs and make a face when I think about it. Then six weeks after the operation, you have that final blood test. This test should indicate that you have an undetectable PSA count. 0.03 which means you are cancer-free, and you can ring that bell. The presenter had one more point to make. We had to make sure that we didn't eat anything after midnight of the night before the operation. If the surgical staff get a whiff of you eating so much as a breath mint, the operation would be cancelled. Now, I don't know if she was saying that for dramatic effect, but everybody was listening. If you do a search online, the general consensus is that you should stop eating six to eight hours before a general anaesthetic. But you know what? I wasn't going to split his If they said 12 hours, 12 hours it is. If they say midnight, midnight it is. The reason behind that is when the anaesthetic is used, your body's reflexes are temporarily stopped. So if your stomach has food and drink in it, there's a risk of vomiting or bringing up the food into your throat. If this happens, the food could get into your lungs and affect your breathing, as well as causing damage to your lungs. Then it's on to the incontinence and hydraulic work. But that's another set of classes, which we really don't need to worry about at the moment. That was the end of the presentation. Very comprehensive, and more importantly, there wasn't really anything to worry about. The old boy at the back of the room, who had had the operation a few years before, was like me, Billy No-Mates, until the last person left the room. I did think, did I have any questions? But I just didn't. I got home and I wasn't bothered about the operation at all. I wasn't nervous. wasn't thinking about it. My attitude was, why worry about what I cannot change? Or why would I worry about an outcome I could not predict? I really wasn't worried. My biggest fault was getting through that fridge full of goodies before that midnight deadline. Just like Cinderella, I had a deadline to meet.